0: Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change,
1: I wasn't going to get better, like truly better, until I sought professional help, and they were like, "Ooh, we need to get you on some medicine because you literally are talking to people." So in that, and and the, but the problem was because I was a meth addict, they just like, yeah, it's very is, he, is he hallucinating or is is this a medical condition? And for a while there we didn't know. yeah. And so they just kept throwing stuff at me, trying to like, see, you know, what, what was going on. And until I really, really got honest about the fact that I hear voices in my head until I really, really hear honest honest about the fact that like, I've tried to take my life. Like, those are all things that I was trying to keep in this little bitty, little bitty, like um, matrushka doll over in the corner. Like, we're not going to deal with that and allow people, professionals to help me. I didn't get better.
0: Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Game, and I am your host. Today, we have Archie Messersmith Bunting, who is known as, quote, the feelings guy. He is a mental wellness speaker who helps people discover how leading with their feelings can improve their quality of life and save the lives of those they come in contact with. Archie's passion stems from his personal life experience. He was adopted at a young age and grew up in a religious setting where pray the gay away was the cultural norm. In fact, he spent much of his high school and college career trying to de-gay himself. Eventually addiction and clinical depression led him to a place where he believed suicide was the only answer. After battling back from the jaws of addiction and embracing his gay, Archie now uses his voice to remind others that we are all more than just the wreckage of our past. He teaches that individual moments and decisions in our life do not define us, but they can help design us. Woo! Archie, oh my gosh, we had a blast talking about all the things, and uh, I had a lot of deep questions for him, and he was so kind to follow my rabbit trails. Archie is an example of someone who has taken the struggle and is giving back to others. He has a foundation Archie Cares. You can find him at archiecares.com. He's hilarious. And if you've struggled with meth addiction, this is a really great episode to talk about what that feels like and some of the struggles that meth addicts experience in treatment and getting sober. So I hope you enjoy this episode with my new pal Archie. Let's do this. All right, Archie, thank you for being here. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery Podcast. I'm excited. Me as well. Um, you come highly, high, the feelings guy, that's your name. You come highly, highly <laughs> recommended by my girl, Arlena. So very, very excited. Oh,
1: I love me some Arlena. Mm. She's
0: oh, cracks me up. She's amazing. We like to get started here with a picture and you, <laughs> it's usually a, a, like a bad hair picture but i have a picture of you dressed as tigger is that
1: oh i was like i don't remember this um <laughs> yes. you're like oh no <laughs> i was like oh what is happening right oh, now yes um, yes 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 uh cage first was it his first halloween no second halloween my son second halloween yeah i dressed up as tigger my husband was eeyore and let me tell you, these costumes totally fit our personalities. Oh, it's so good! And then Cade was Winnie the Pooh, and oh. we we were, and it had like a little. He was so tiny, and it was built in with this little like belly, this little. Yes. Oh, it was so cute! Oh, I miss Aww. my little boy.
0: How old is he now?
1: He's three, oh, and please. he's he's Three's um brutal. Okay. Can we just stop writing. and talk for a second about this, like, terrible two nonsense. Oh, it's bullshit. It is, com- it is complete shit. You tell us that so that, oh, like, oh, we made it.
0: No. Okay, let me just tell you, I have twin four-year-old boys. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. So just, uh, yeah, exactly. And three, <laughs> I was like, and you're going in the garbage. The- yeah. Four is way better. It's like, it's like kind of like four and three months, five, four, four and a half. But three is a pile of steaming shit.
1: It's, it's so much. And so we're potty training, as you do. Mm. I'm sure you didn't expect to talk about this, but let's talk about it. No. We're potty training. I love it. As you do. And <laughs> uh, it's not it's not going all that well. Like, oh, it, it happens. Shock. Um, but then we had our, we had a parent teacher conference today.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Because
1: um, Cade is smaller than the rest of the humans in his class. Okay. And so I think I think that when they like go to push back, unfortunately their hands are right at his face. And so he keeps coming home with like scratches oh, no. on his face. Oh. And, and this is after like a major scratch down his face like six months ago and I almost lost my ever loving all the things. Well, so like scratch day one, scratch day two. Then we get an incident report that he bit someone and I was like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, of, of course he did. Yeah. And, and so like I, I have an education degree, so I'm trying to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, And I've, I'm trying to be professional and like yeah. my uh, my husband's talking and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I just want to make sure that we temper this... Um, uh, Like biting is not okay. But also, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're harming me, I'm going to retaliate. Yeah. And so he figured out he can bite. And so now we're in this like, how do we... This whole parenting thing it, it it is it is hilarious to me because I firmly believe if there were words in the English language to describe how horrible the first six months were, we'd be oh. extinct. We would oh, be extinct.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I I I'm gonna go up the full year. Uh maybe, maybe nine. I'm gonna go maybe maybe I'm gonna have to double down. Um maybe maybe uh maybe nine months, but no nine I, months. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine months It's like they're cute and they're starting to sleep. So so Archie, you are gay married.
1: Yes, I've never heard it said like that before. Yes, I am a gay and I am married. I put a ring on it.
0: Uh, yeah. Wait, you put the ring?
1: No, 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 please don't. No. no, no,
0: no. Okay, okay I was no, like... No,
1: I got, I, I was like, I got proposed to. Mm-hmm, okay, okay.
0: So what I tell people who don't like gay marriage is that they should probably not get gay married. Um, So that, that's... that's Real. What, right? I mean, I feel like it's like, if you don't agree with gay marriage, you should definitely not get gay married.
1: Yeah, you should if... not, should not.
0: should just stay away from it.
1: Okay. Well, since you said that, can I just tell you this really quick story? Oh, yeah. So Okay. So we had a wedding planned. Because, girl, you know I was going to have a wedding. We had a wedding planned. We had to save the dates. We had all the things out. Well, then the adoption actually went a little faster than we thought it would. And in Virginia, we couldn't adopt. It's probably the case in most states. We couldn't adopt Kate together unless we were married. So we had to get married like right then. Because the delivery date was like... You were trying to have a
0: baby out of wedlock?
1: Oh uh, right! <laughs> My mother My would be horrified, what are you? <laughs> horrified.
0: Dear God, are you from the South? What's happening here? Uh-huh.
1: So we go to the courthouse, as you do. Okay. And do. this is this is right after uh, the- we're
0: here to get gay
2: married.
1: <laughs> excuse me, but 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 this is right after the riots in Charlottesville. So all of the Confederate statues had huge black trash bags on them. So we walk to the courthouse, and there is a human. Um, dressed in his human clothes uh, with his Confederate f- flag pacing back and forth. So we go inside. Right, right. We're like, we're going to get married. Um, and I, I did call <laughs> and I was like, do you marry boys? Because I just wanted to be <laughs> sure. You know, I was like, will you marry the gays? <laughs> and so we walk in and this- Like, I know big, they said it's allowed, but just want to make sure you guys are I still like following like, the news. Like for real, are we really doing it? This big black sheriff walks out. He's like, you boys want to get married? <laughs> that yes. Funny. I was like, uh yes, sir. And he goes, <laughs> Well, we usually do it over there in the rose garden, but what's his face? And I was like, Oh no, we're doing this in the rose garden. <laughs> so a black man. Two gay men's in front of a plastic statue of Robert E. Lee, with this man pacing back and forth. Got married. Okay, but I tell you that people, can I just by, tell you I'm
0: that's like, like my dream wedding I mean, right now. People
1: are videotaping this shit. When he said oh. you can kiss your husband, let me tell you, I cleaned the back of the teeth. I like tickled his tonsils. I mean, I'm, oh. I went in for the kiss. I'm sure this man was like, bah! but there's a sheriff there. So what are you gonna do? So that's my wedding. That's I mean, that's my that's my wedding. That's where I get married. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's where you got married but then did you do like a big old no no
1: no. because the the the, the ceremony would enough. have that was enough um <laughs> the ceremony would have been we were in florida um because when you adopt the child you can't leave the state until all the stuff is cleared yeah and so we yeah. were just hanging out at bill's parents house the weekend of the wedding <laughs> so of the wedding
0: so how did you guys decide? okay okay well, there's i have so many questions okay so yeah. first of all a big part of your story is that you cannot pray the gay away, right? <laughs> you are here yes. to testify. The gay is here to stay, right? Uh-huh. So yes. I am fascinated by pray the gay away. Fascinating. Okay, so let me a little tiny bit of background here. I grew up on you know on the coasts but mostly in San Francisco Bay Area. My first wedding I was ever in was a gay wedding. I did not know so I grew up around anti-Semitism. My dad's Mm -hmm. Jewish. Mm -hmm. I did not know that like normally in the rest of like areas, men don't marry men and women. Like, I didn't know that. I was in a gay wedding before gay weddings were legal. That's amazing. I, my dad, like we, my dad, one of his best friends was in PR and he and his husband, when I was 10, used to take me for the weekends, take me to the hairdresser we lived in, he, they lived in San Francisco and they had a convertible and they had this nice house and they would take me to get my hair done and take me like I, and I stayed with them for the weekend, just my parents would be like, Boy. And So I did not know. I it was a very big shock, like shock to me that the rest of the country was like, Hey, not so much. So the pray, the gay away thing to me has just been fascinating because I am like, have you met gay people, like do you have you met them when they're everybody knows when you have that kid in class who's Mm -hmm. like, we have friends whose sons, you're like, oh, he's gay. He he's not even attracted. There's no sex going on. And you're like, oh that kids
2: kid's you can see it. Yeah, Yeah,
0: like they're both, you know, you can see. So I the pray the gay way is a very interesting concept to me. And I'm curious, did someone was that part of your experience?
1: Oh, uh, uh yes,
0: yes, a lot of praying.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so weird. You t- you asked me this because I had a I had an emotional moment yesterday. There is a new film coming out. Um, Ryan Murphy is producing it called "Pray Away," and it is the the former leaders of the Exodus Movement. And the Exodus Movement is how this all began. These humans said that they prayed the Gay Away. And so they began leading these retreats and parents would send their kids and there was literature on like how to like, because- Who's praying?
0: Like, is the kid praying? Is everyone kid. praying?
1: No, the kid praying. Yeah. Kid the kid is praying. The kid is praying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And like, there's this, um, what is that What is that woman that interviewed the, the former president? And he was like, you're being kind of rude. Diane Stalworth, maybe that's her name. Anyway, interviewing like, you know, two decades ago. And this man was so gay. And she was like, so you're saying that you're not gay anymore? And he was like, yes. And I was like, you're so gay. But these people cause so much harm. Was heart. it Lindsey Graham? I wish. And now they're all <laughs> gay. They've always been gay. But now they're like, we we can't be silent anymore. So they've all oh, come forward and said, we were they're lying. All out now. We were lying. We were lying. <laughs> and
0: everyone's like, no way.
1: But you like, are lying. I watched this and I was like, do you not realize how many you know walks to the cross that I made, how many altar calls I made, how many nights in my room, just praying that this would go away because you told me that it's bad. You told me I'm going to hell. You told me I'm not worthy. You told me I'm not worthy to be loved. And so not only do, all you that only did, like, of course I did. Yeah. Because that's, you know, I was in the church and that's what was sold. And so, you know, I, I say to people sometimes, no wonder I was a drug addict because here's the tea. The first time I tried drugs, It gave me what I was looking for on all those walks of the cross. It gave me peace. It gave me a normalcy. It made me feel whole. Like this thing that I've been like seeking in the church, I found in the club. And like, no shit that I became a drug addict. Like, of course I did. But it's just, um, it is not talked about enough. Uh, It is a trauma. It is a trauma to tell a young person they're going to go to hell because they're gay. That's a trauma. And it should be punishable, in my, my opinion.
0: It's interesting. I, you know, I went to Catholic school for eight years, but I'm not Catholic. And so my I, I were Episcopalian, so I grew up with a female priest and gay, you know, like it was just so different. But I, I went to Sacred Heart for eight years. So I saw it. But in my home, my parents were like, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, like they, yeah, that's they're awesome. e- even even though I was exposed to, I mean, and they were not super pleased with me and any of the things about me and, you know, but because my parents didn't believe it or didn't, it didn't stick the same way, which is, it didn't, I feel like it's like, it didn't, it was like the words didn't feel the same way. But if your parents, these people that you trust and are supposed to be you know they they're your gods when you're you know they when we see how it is when when they're little like we we take care of them they rely on us if they're telling you this is going to happen that feels that that must be real and it's if it's something you can't seem to change about yourself then you you must be sure that did you believe that you were going to literally burn in in a place called hell
1: yeah yeah um because it it for some reason <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, the Southern Baptists have picked this thing. They picked this. You can be remarried twelve times. You okay, can okay. wear earrings. You can cut your hair. You can eat the skin of a pig. You can play football. With the skin. You can do all the things in that passage in Leviticus that they choose to latch onto, except this one thing. And this thing is unforgivable. They will. They. I. I honestly believe that they would forgive and i think this has been proven in the fundamental uh, fu- uh independent fundamental baptist church the the people in the church will forgive those who do horrible things to children unless they're gay and then if they're gay they're like mm, no we can't do the gays and i just i don't understand i don't i, I really don't fundamentally understand how you can read this book called the bible and then you just pick this one. I just love me some pick and choose Christians. I love them. Like, I'm gonna pick and choose this one. I'm gonna use it against you. But everything else is fan. I just, I don't understand.
0: And so Southern, your families, they were Southern, Bast- Southern Baptists. Yeah. Do you have siblings?
1: Mm-hmm. I have a younger brother who um, he is, um, well, actually we're both ministers <laughs> because you, they can't unminister me, which I love. But I was a Southern Baptist minister and Micah is as well. But Micah um, teaches at a, a private Christian school. But I mean- his daughters know who we are. They know that I'm with Bill and they know that Kate's our child. And so, and, you know, I, I am certain that that was challenging for Micah to try to rationalize. Like, I know that it, I know that if he could just stop this, he would, but like this says over here that this is this, um, but we're all in a good place now.
0: Well, that's, I mean, I think in some ways it's really good to, because once you know that thing, you know, if, if, if two things can't be true at the same time, if you can't be a horrible person and get, you know, he knows you, he knows who you are. It's not just this like gay person over in San Francisco and you're in the South, right? Like if you have a name and a person and you know, yeah. that makes it harder. And it's, I think it's like that with every judgment we have, it's every judgment that we make about somebody. If we know that, if, you know, I mean, not, it doesn't always help, but a lot of the time it does. But a part of your story though, was also being adopted. And I, I, and And I'm wondering, did you connect? how old were you when they told you that you were adopted, and did you connect to gay and adoption at all?
1: Uh, no to the latter. but I, I don't remember ever not knowing. So but what, what's fascinating though, is that now that I do have a child, and I know how much happened, so I, I went to live with my the people I call my parents, they're my parents, uh, when I was two. Um, so when I was born, I was um, surrendered at the hospital, an emergency placement which is, you know, fairly common. And then I don't know how long I was there. And then I moved to my foster home, um, which I have no memories of. But I mean, I know how much happens between zero and two. So, you know, I I do know know that there were stories that, you know, when my parents would, you know, when I say my parents, I mean, the people I live with now or lived with, you know, like we would all be in the den and they would leave the room and I would like lose my mind. Because they left the room. And so I assumed they weren't coming back. So, you know, I mean, and, you know, I jokingly say, you know, I know I look young, but girl, I am not. So back in 1978, I guess, is when I would have been, you know, showing up at my house. Girl, we didn't have no Oprah. We didn't have no Ellen. We barely had TV. So, I mean, and we lived in the country. So there was no, like talk about his feelings and there was just all like, you know, I look to the South, so suck it up, walk it off, get over it, you know, and, and all of those things tr- stayed with me until, <laughs> until they went. Pew! so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they, when did they go? Pew!
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't truly go Pew! until after college, but, um, I mean, they, be, they began to like show their, I mean, I was, I went to a private Christian college for college, because I thought if anything in the world can degay me, it is a private Southern Baptist institution. Like this will make it go away.
0: Okay, so how, when did you know you were gay?
1: Yeah, so I remember. Okay, I'm pretty sure I'm significantly older than you, but you don't ask a woman or a gay man their age. We're not going to. But I was home. To. I was home from sick. I was home. I was home from sick. I was home sick one day from school, and it was a very. It is a now a very famous Oprah episode. Where I think this was right after Ryan White had c- contracted HIV, uh, the, the, the kid that was a hemophiliac. Um, it's kind of the first thing that brought it into, again, we had Oprah, so there were things coming into the world. But it was the first really case where it wasn't like the gays in San Francisco getting the AIDS. It was this little kid who got HIV, you know. And so she was in the South. And she had the audience split into two sides and they were yelling at each other. I remember this man on the mic being like, damn, damn fags. And like, I don't know why, but something clicked inside because I understood what was going on. But I I remember thinking, oh, my God, that's me. I'm screwed. Like, I I remember. How how old were you? Like early junior high.
0: Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: I mean, I I knew something was off because like, I wanted to play with the girls, but not play with them. I wanted to like play tea set. I didn't want to like flirt with them. Um, And I wasn't very good at sports. Uh, Sports ball was not my thing. So yeah, that's when I sort of like had the thing. Of course, the attractions didn't start until, you know, later. And like you said, everyone knows when someone's gay. So my high school career was not pleasant. I mean, my junior high, high school, not pleasant. Did
0: you try to hook up with women? Yes.
1: Oh, well, no, see, that was the great part about going, being Southern Baptist. And that's the Uh, other great part about going to Southern Baptist University. Nobody was sleeping. Everybody was saving themselves for marriage. So I didn't have to. Like, I had this, I had this constant pass. Um, So like, I would make out with girls, you know, and I had girlfriends and there was one that I was going to marry. I was going to get married. But, uh, did she know? Um, uh, I don't know. The, so the, 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 the girl that I was going to get married to, um, we're not in touch anymore. It was not a great ending uh, because also with, with her, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm ending this so that I can be gay. And so mm. then I was gay mm, and that mm. was hard. Um, yeah, but there fair. is a, there's a, a girl that I'm great friends with and we dated actually most of college. And she was always like, "I always knew," but you were just so fun. Um, (laughs) And now, and now we're 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 great friends. And you know, we (laughs) our kids have met, and like you know, I'm saying so.
0: Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. That's a great. I didn't think of that. Yeah, you're saving yourself for marriage. I mean, that that that'll that'll change the game right there. So you go to college. You're like, okay, if there's anything that's going to change it, it's this. That doesn't happen. It did not work. No. Okay, it did not work. So you leave girl, I'm going to marry mm-hmm. to be gay. Mm-hmm. What does that look like?
1: Well, so this was, I'd graduated college and she was still in school and I was teaching high school, which was a miserable experience. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, it was what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get married and get a job and have 2.5 kids and all that sort of stuff, you know, cause this was 1999 and my junior and senior year in college, I had been cast in Birmingham Summerfest, which was Alabama's big summer stock theater. And I was one of the ensemble members and like all the leads were coming in from New York. So I was making all these connections, all all these people. And like, I was straight then of course, but they were all like, Archie, you're so gay. And I was like, no, no, I love Jesus. I'm straight. And they were like, (laughs) okay. And so (laughs) they're like, this is going to be good. (laughs) And actually during that experience was my first consequence from drugs and alcohol, I was, I was playing Curly in Oklahoma and I didn't really, I was pretty cocky back then. And I didn't really know what it meant to lead a show. And I knew that I could sing, I could sing the shit out of this part, but I really wasn't digging into anything else. And so we were, you know, we would all go out clubbing. Well, like I know now today that like the leads don't do that. Like the ensemble, sure, you can go out because you're not singing. about like, I'll... so for some reason, I got the hiccups. I don't know why. And I had hiccups for two days and I couldn't stop hiccuping. And so I went to the hospital and the thing, at least back in 1999, the thing they give you to stop the hiccups is the same thing they give you to stop an acid trip. So I was like asleep. And so I didn't do so well in the opening of the show. And so I got replaced. Um, in the middle of the run, they replaced me. And um, I, you know, it wasn't until years later that I looked back on that and saw, like, that's my first real consequence from, from drugs and alcohol. Um, at, at the time, I was just like, F them, blah, 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 blah. And so I packed my bags and moved to New York City. And um, so in one way, it kind of propelled me into the next part of my life. But in reality, it was the beginning of...
0: It was, it was the beginning, it was the beginning of, of the consequences now, but did you use drugs and alcohol in high school and college?
1: No, 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 no. no. So again, this, again, Jesus, you know, like Jesus. Geez,
0: yeah. 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 I mean, I know people who love Jesus yeah. and drink, but you know.
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: They so you used you started using was this the first time you used?
1: Uh no, it was it was in that time period, yeah. Like I had I didn't I didn't try alcohol until I was 21. My fraternity brothers gave me like this fruity drink. I had no idea what I was drinking, so I'd never, you know, whatever. And so like what it, it probably was like this much alcohol and like this much fruit punch, and I was gone. But and I didn't really enjoy it, like it wasn't really a thing, you know. But like then I was like, okay, we'll do this thing. And then in that time period that I'm discussing, I tried ecstasy for the first time, and ecstasy was the band aid that my heart needed, and so it was in, in it was in that t- time period where where it happened. Yeah,
0: what did drugs and alcohol do for you?
1: Yeah, it it made me feel loved. It made me feel accepted. It made me feel whole. I mean, like like with anyone, it it may be more social, but that was the. I mean, I'm a social person anyway, so it just made me more social and I'm okay being social without it, but it, it was the fact that it put a band-aid on all the hurt inside. And really that's what I chased was that that band-aid of all all the all the internalized homophobia, all the self-hatred, all the you know being made fun of, all, all that. That's what that's what I chased, that bandaid.
0: How did moving to New York City help or hurt you? <laughs> coming into your sexuality and shedding were you how, how did you shed the homophobia right or that self-hatred?
1: Uh, well that took a while. but when I say that I stepped off the airplane in New York City and I was gay, 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 gay like I was I was about as gay as you could be I was I was real skinny back then because I was dancing, I was a dancing queen and so I I went to the HM on um, in Chelsea. Which is very gay. At least it was back then it's not anymore. And I remember that there were these black, stretchy, sparkly pants in the girls' oh, section. Wow. I was and I was like, Yes, I'll be trying these on. And they were like, that's it. And I was like, I know. And I sure did print out of that store and then pants. Uh but like I was I, I would buy little appliques and I would applique them on my face just to go to the Dwayne Reed. Like not yeah. to go go yeah, out so, Yeah, yeah, Like, like you if were, were gonna go out, I was
0: you were like, if I'm going to hell, I'm driving the bus. I mean,
1: I was gay. But and, you know, for a while there, it was really fun. You know, I was performing professionally, uh, touring, uh, national tours, cruise ships. Uh, and so when I would go off and do my thing, you know, we would just drink. Um, the one exception to that was I was on this cruise ship. We were in Ushuaia, which is the southernmost portion of the world. It's right before Antarctica. And we went clubbing. And this girl, we didn't speak, the, we didn't even speak the language. She was like, do you want some exercise? And we're like, sure. So we're like, We're doing ecstasy in Antarctica, which is insane. Looking back now, that's one place you want to be in charge of your faculties in case something happens. But, you know, for the most part, I didn't use overseas. I would just drink like a fish and then I would land back in America and, you know, get high. And for me, things really began to go down quickly when I was introduced to crystal meth. Now, in truth, the first time I ever snorted it, I thought I was snorting coke. And it was not. And I went from snorting it to smoking it to shooting it within like, I don't know, like four months. It was fast.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, because it hurts like fucking hell going up your
1: nose. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare.
0: And yeah, yeah. So so who introduced you to crystal meth and how did the Southern Baptist boy why weren't you afraid of, you know, a lot of people say like why weren't you afraid of doing those drugs? Like don't you know what happened blah blah blah. Why weren't you afraid?
1: I think because I I was so confused that this, this God that was supposed to be loving and giving and like, I love contemporary Christian music. And I, I I toured with a group that, you know, sang, I mean, I loved it. And I was like, the God that I sang about was not the God that they would preach from the pulpit. And I, I just really turned my back on the whole thing. And I remember being at an audition once. And again, I was very cocky, but kind of looking up and saying, I got this and then i got the job and i was like see i got this so i just that part of my life was just not something that was it was not it wasn't a thing you know and my life was really you know dance classes working auditioning and then performing and you know i i mean i don't know who i, I was hanging out with some guys and somebody passed a baggie and i assumed it was coke and it wasn't and and then kind of my life was just off to the races
0: when you started shooting Meth, you know, or the first time, because I I talk about this like, you know, the first time you, you, these, there are these things in addiction where we're like, okay, I'll never do that. I'll I'll never never do do that. that. I'll never do that. Right. And then so we keep, we keep moving that thing, whatever that it is that we'll never do. And when you get, I always tell people like, for me, you know, I knew that putting that, by the time I started regularly putting a needle in my arm, that there was a big problem. But I thought it was with just that. Like my brain was like, oh, you have a heroin problem. Like this is the problem. I excluded alcohol. I excluded, <laughs> you know, like those weren't the yep. problems, right? And so when you, what were some of the things that you told yourself when, this, when you made this transition about who you were, what was happening, what was going to happen in the future, et cetera?
1: Well, as my, as my drug use uh, progressed and it got much more hardcore, I mean, I couldn't lower my standards fast enough to be around the people that I was around. You know, when I was still doing ecstasy and Coke and like GHB, you know, that was, those are club drugs and, um, you know, the people are pretty and the dancing is all night long and all the stuff. Well, I remember when I was going to, you know, I met this, this guy that I was going to get stuff, buy stuff from and. He said, do you want to smoke? And I said, I don't do that. And he was like, well, I I can do it for you. And I was like, okay, why not? You know, like, whatever. Because I just like, I did a bump, so I was high. And I I truly do remember sitting on his um, bedroom floor thinking, this is going to be a problem because the (laughs) high was completely different than anything I'd ever experienced. Right. So like, like you, I was like, I'm never, there's no way I'm ever going to do this needle thing. And, you know, I was hooking up with a doctor and um, he, we were, you know, we were partying and he said, um, you know, do you want to, do you want to slam? I didn't know what that meant. And he told me, I was like, Oh no, no, no. But then I was like, wait a minute, if I'm going to try this, I might as well try it with a doctor. Like that makes sense. Like he knows what he's doing. So it made sense. Like, I mean, today it doesn't. But then it was like, hey, he's a doctor. <laughs> Obviously. And then I thought, well, as long as I don't learn how to do it myself, then I'm fine. And then that only took like a month. Because I was like, I'll just try it. Like, I'll just try it. Like, right, whatever. right. YOLO. <laughs> uh, and then yeah, then it was just like... Yeah.
0: How fast? What did that spiral look like? And how fast did it happen?
1: Uh, fast. Um, I mean, I... I was in a relationship. We were both in. So at this point, we were, you know, I was trying to figure it out. I was in and out of the rooms, not really succeeding very well. But, you know, I got kicked out of my apartment. I had nowhere to live. I was couch surfing. I got fired from my last show. I was like trying to put, you know, put work together, whatever kind of work I could find to like make money to do anything. And, Yeah. And then I overdosed and I woke up um, in ICU having been intubated. And I would love to say that like I walked out of that hospital, never used again. And that's not what happened. Um, I had to like keep, keep crashing and keep crashing, keep crashing. And then I tried to take my life because I, I just, the pain was just unbearable and I I just couldn't get it to stop. Um, And then eventually I found my way back to program and this, this man who, I mean, whatever people listening, believe in higher power, God, whoever, like this, this man came from there and, um, just saved my life. This, I say, man, like, I think he probably was like 27, like he was younger than me. And, um, it's like, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. You were going to do this. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So, And the rest is kind of history. So.
0: Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi.
2: It's Christiana, your producer, and if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with the cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha made in organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden Grind Turmeric Latte Blend, and Prana Chai Original Blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. The organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The turmeric latte blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The Prana Chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with a cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop. And you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. Maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well.
0: When someone, you know, people talk about like, I about not being able to stop and like that. So often I see the confusion in people who don't struggle with this in their eyes of like, why can't you stop something that you're giving yourself, right? Like how how can you, how is it that you can't stop putting something into your giving yourself? Do you have a way, you know, I have my own analogies, but do you have any way that you explain that feeling, that phenomenon of like, I cannot stop this, so I'm going to kill myself. Like the, the the that kind of reasoning all along to it's time to end my life.
1: Yeah, somewhat. Um I actually talked about this the other day that I remember for a long time when I was using um have you seen the movie The Manchurian Candidate? Have you seen that movie?
0: So long ago. Yeah, okay. it's yeah.
1: But the premise that they're reprogrammed and if they hear this word or phrase, it's flipped and they there's nothing to do. That I, I honestly believed that I had messed my brain up so much that if someone said, Let's get high, or I thought I should get high, I truly believed that I could not not do that. I had no hope that it was even possible until one day I it was snowing in the city, and um, so we let out early because was gonna be a big snowstorm. And I was on the bus. it was snowing so bad that I didn't mean, usually take the bus. I just walked the subway, but I got on the bus to get to the subway on the bus, the doors closed. And my brain thought, okay, we're definitely going to be out of work for four days. You should get high. And for the first time ever, there was like this moment of you don't have to do this. You can do something else. I'd been in program long enough that it was beginning to get like programmed. Now, I actually ended up getting high that weekend. But I can look back on that moment as like a moment that there could be hope. But until that point, what people just don't understand is that the addiction is so much stronger than you and, and also depending on your drug of choice. Um, I mean, I remember in rehab when they found out that I was a crystal meth addict, literally the the clinician was like, good luck uh, because it, it's such a mental addiction. It's not even like if people, people with heroin addiction, they're like giving them methadone. They're like, just sit over there and try to control your thoughts. And I'm like, what? Um, so, you know, there's, there's, the, the addiction is so strong that, until you find a way to get the pull to be just a little less, it's like, it's like why am I doing this? What is the point of this? Because I'm just in a fucking hamster wheel.
0: Right, right. I'm sure that that person was a real motivator. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Wow, you're sure fucked. <laughs> Pretty um, much. That's yeah. Like, <laughs> Gee, thanks. And it's really helpful. Yeah, I think a lot of people and a lot of families, right, watching the process, watching people get sober, they when they if if I'm the family and you're on that bus that weekend and you think that to yourself and then you go get high I'm not thinking that's progress as the family member right I'm going no you fucking got high this weekend like you got high that weekend you're not making progress and what I think is so great to talk about that moment is like you look back at that moment and the fact that that there was that space in between those two things happening that's progress even if you ended up using that weekend. I was talking to a friend yesterday about confronting a a friend of hers who's in the midst of addiction. And she's saying, well, you know, I think I'm the first person that's ever said, hey, I'm really concerned about your drinking. I don't want to be around it, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, look, and she she said, well, what's the resolution? I said, there is no resolution, except that at some point when this person does decide to get help, They will look back. They'll remember this, that experience is lodged in their head. I remember the first time someone said, you have a problem. That doesn't mean that I stopped doing it or even after the first, you know, going to treatment or whatever. It is a process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was the process like for your, in your brain, you know, as a crystal meth addict, what was the process like of your brain changing from that weekend where you had that space but you still used to putting some time together.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, I wish I'd kept on my white chips cause I could tile the driveway. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, did, I did not. Uh, alas, I did not. Um, I mean, it was a revolving door there for a while. And also crystal meth is so tied to sex. It's because it, it, um, it, it enhances your pleasure um, senses. So it's, um, and and really, crystal meth is a mental addiction. There's nothing physically addictive about it. There's no there's no withdrawal. You're just like shaking because you've been awake for five days. It it was um I mean it it was a lot of it was a lot of white knuckling. I my dog who I, who's no longer with us, but his name was Fabulous, um, Fabby. <laughs> um, there, <laughs> yep. Uh, there were I mean there I mean there were definitely moments in my apartment in New York City. Just like laying in bed, holding this dog, and I really believe that he knew what was going on, and uh, he was with me until life got better, and then he got cancer. But there were just moments of like clutching Fabby, like you know, because the pull was so strong, and and you know, it it really did take like a couple of a, a, a many of those for the the hope to really um, the hope that I could have hope, um, and that's what that moment did. And you're so right that. From the outside world, that would be seen as a failure. But that was the first moment that I actually believed that there could be hope. I didn't have any, but I believed that there could be. And it took that for me to be able to eventually turn the corner into finding some semblance of sobriety.
0: I would see these people getting sober like relatively quickly or without relapse. And that was so hard for me to watch these people like I was struck sober. I was, you know, whatever. Like, like I, I, I was just done. My husband, my husband, he's like, yeah, I was just like, he doesn't have cravings. He like, that was it. Like, it was just something happened. Something changed in his brain. And here I am like falling on my face constantly. I'm 15 years sober. And I still, sometimes I'm like, Jesus, what is in there? That's just, you know, like what happened, what happens here? And I, I, you know, there is a feeling of being in that revolving door and taking that chip and taking that chip that just, even though theoretically you're making progress because you're creating this habit of going back to the place because you know where the solution is, there is this feeling of, it is very painful to feel like, what is like, I, I'm, maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm one of those people who just doesn't make it. And like, I just don't, you know, and, and, and I need the people, you know, for those of us who have that experience, I need people like you and like me to share about how many times it took so that I, I needed those people to tell me, Ashley, I was the last person anyone thought would get sober. I came here a hundred million times. I came here loaded. I came here and went, God, like I needed to hear that because I was so like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, and then also you have the world looking at you, going, what the fuck is wrong with you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that yeah, hundred percent. Now I do want to say for me as well that um, there is this. There's this saying, and if you've been in program for more than like a hot second, you've heard it. And we're just going to put everything on the shelf. We're going to put everything else on the shelf. We're just going to focus on the drugs. Okay. So that was never going to work for me because I had an undiagnosed mental illness. So not only am I trying to get sober, my head is loud. And they just kept saying, you know, the farther you get from the drug and listen, I don't hold any ill will. It is not the job of the 12-step program, whatever wherever you go to provide therapeutic support. But... It might have been it might have been helpful a little sooner than it was to be like maybe you should go talk to someone. But you know when you when you find yourself in these rooms, and I'm sure people right now are like, "What is this guy talking about?" But you sign yourself in your dreams and, and these these big book thumpers are like, "The solution is right here." Okay, yes, the solution to the to this issue is here. The solution to my mental illness is nowhere in the big book. It's not in the big book at all. Well, so, it is.
0: It actually is. It says, go seek outside. Of yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yes, it yes, actually yes, 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 yes. is. It's just not re- referenced enough.
1: <laughs> that is true. That is true. That is, I stay, I, sta- I, I accept the amendment. I have big book thumped you. Um, you did big book thump me, damn. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, I can't tell you what page. I, I don't know. Um, it. But the point stands, I wasn't going to get better, like truly better until I sought professional help. And they were like, ooh, we need to get you on some medicine because you literally are talking to people. So in that and and the, but the problem was because I was a meth addict, they just like yeah it's very is he, is he hallucinating or is is this a medical condition? And for a while there, we didn't know. Yeah, and so they just kept throwing stuff at me, trying to like see you know what what was going on. And until I really, really got honest about the fact that I hear voices in my head, until I really, really hear honest honest about the fact that, like, I've tried to take my life, like, those are all things that I was trying to keep in this little bitty, little bitty, like, um, Matryoshka doll over in the corner. Like, we're not going to deal with that and allow people, professionals to help me. I didn't get better. I mean, I just, I would put time, I would put, like, a couple years together, and then here we go again. And it didn't make any sense because everyone's like, this should, like, this should be working. And I'm like, yeah, well... We got other problems going on.
0: So one thing I want to touch on about this, and then I want to ask you about the diagnosis. So one thing is that I can tell you from the opposite, from the other end of the spectrum, which was that I went to a lot of treatments as a young, I was put in treatment as a young adult, where they do try to treat them pretty close together, the right, you know, right after detox, and I was diagnosed. I went to a lot of different facilities and diagnosed with a lot of different things and given a shit ton of medicine, none of which, or I shouldn't say none, but most of which was inaccurate and totally related to the drug use. So, you know, there is this decoupling that happens. And so I think that finding that space of, okay, we've decoupled now we need, and and also if you're working with someone who's who's, you know, in the weeds with you on the decoupling, they can start to say like, okay, it's still happening. Okay. It's still happening. So like, I think that there's some place in the middle of really working with people as they're pulling the drugs out of the system and paying attention to and getting that feedback and finding like, what is there as they're decoupling and what's the space. And maybe, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who do do that, but it can go either way. Like, no, there's no problem. It's just related to this or, oh, it's, you know, oh, you're detoxing from cocaine. You have bipolar. Like, no, I'm fucking detoxing. Like that's the, you know, that's the kind of thing. Were you diagnosed with schizoaffective? What what was, what's your diagnosis?
1: That's what they thought. And so they gave me uh, Lamictal, Mm -hmm. which gave me a drug rash like I was oh
0: you got the rash they like that's like the infamous rash everyone's like oh you check for the rash every morning check for the I rash I
1: mean my no like one dose in my entire <sighs> body was covered in hives oh no it was it was not it was not fun and then in my second rehab We really kind of dug into it more. And I do understand that, like, we as human beings, we have voices in our heads. Our inner voice talks. We talk to ourselves. I'm a little (laughs) step down the road than that. But but she also said, you know, at this point in your life, you have learned to manage this really well. Yeah, We can try to medicate this, but it's going to change your personality. Yeah. And I'm like, "Ah, no, I mean, I, I know who they are. We have some good, we kiki, it's fine. They're not, she was like, are they telling you to harm anybody? And I was like, no, we're not doing that. And she was like, okay. So, so are they
0: other people?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's just...
0: Because like, okay, the reason I ask, I was so fucking relieved when I found out that I was a drug addict and alcoholic because I was sure. I was like... Oh fuck! There's things talking to me in my head, yeah. and I was like, "This is not good. If they find out about this, we in trouble." I'd already yeah. been to the psych ward just as yeah, a result of drugs. Same. I was, I was like, "This is this. Yeah. Camp. I don't want to end up there." And so I was super relieved to find out that my own voice talking to me was normal, it was and, normal. Yeah. and it, it had just been gotten really loud. loud. Yeah, yeah. And, and that that was normal. So when you say voices, so I talk about like the itty bitty shitty committee or like the voices in our head or K fuck radio being turned up really loud. What's different?
1: Yeah. We're, it's a little bit different than yeah, that. Like um, what, is it, I mean, what does
0: it, it feel like?
1: I mean, there are, <laughs> are you getting deep on this one? I want to know. There are, there are definitely other personality types up there Okay. Um, that are, you know, Vying for my attention, and I used to listen and talk to them. Like I used to, like you know, be engaged. And now I just in your so, head, in my head, yeah. So it's not. Well, I would talk to them out loud because I would. Okay, that was yeah. I, I would hear, I would hear them.
2: But
0: you knew they weren't there, right? Uh, or no? When, well, when I sure. wasn't
1: high, I was. I did yeah. when I was high. <laughs> i just assumed that everybody else could hear them too and they're like what is wrong with that guy so (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's a bit different than the shitty committee like i understand the shitty committee i understand that but but so that that's what i'm saying is that when i'm dealing with the shitty committee and these external voices oh my god i mean it's yeah
0: yeah like, are they ever helpful? Are they other like, or do they? Uh, I
1: mean, I kind of, I mean, they're they're going to town right now because I, we're focusing on them. But like, usually I don't, I can kind of drown them out because I'm used to it now. But, what are they I mean, saying right now? <laughs> well, they're not really happy that we're talking about them. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I feel crazy right now, uh, uh which is okay. It's okay. It's helping other people.
0: You're the feelings guy.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with them. I mean, it's, so the way I like to explain to people, we all have those voices that say you can't, you can't do this Mm -hmm, or like, mm -hmm. you'll never be okay. You'll never be good enough. Yes, Like mine have different voices. Okay, So it's not, it's not, you're hearing yourself talk in your head. It's literally like someone else is talking to you, Okay, which in the beginning was very disconcerting. Now it's just like, eh, okay, well.
0: So it's, did it start as a kid?
1: I don't remember. I get asked that a lot. I don't remember. I mean, I'm guessing it did. I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't, I don't, I really don't. It's just always been there. I don't ever remember not knowing, so.
0: And so they, you've made the decision with your mental health providers not to medicate them.
1: Yeah, no. I do take medicine for um, major depressive disorder. I do also have clinical depression. But I sort of made the decision that, you know, when I put enough stuff in my body, I do know how to manage them. And actually just, you know, that saying, like, you're only sick as your secrets, I never really told anybody it. And so even just telling someone, because I had the same thing. I was like, I am not going back to a psych (laughs) ward. Like, that's not happening. Yeah. So I didn't talk about it.
0: Yeah. You're like, like, I know this is a one-way ticket. It
1: was. And so just talking about it, like, literally the volume turned down. Yeah. Um, It's like,
0: that's how it is with addiction.
1: There was, the the power wasn't contained here anymore. Like, I had, I have the power. Like, I, you know, I, I had it a little bit, so.
0: How how many people have you come in contact with through sharing this? Who've been like, I have them too.
1: I mean, dozens. Um, people reach out and say, "Thank you for giving voice," because a lot of people also very much resonate with the like. We're just gonna put everything else on the shelf, okay? For some people, right, that works. Right, right, right. There's right. got to gotta be another path, right? Um, and that's why I love our our girl Arlena because there has to be another path. Like there has to be mm-hmm. some other way to oh, get for this sure. done and uh i didn't i didn't discover that until much much later in the in the process
0: yeah and i i would imagine that was very very painful how did you i should let me rephrase what part do you think that ad, uh, adoption played if any in your recovery
1: yeah a, a lot you know i was i was doing a podcast interview the other day and i i always say that it's um it's surprising but not surprising so in both of my rehabs, there was—I mean—a good quarter, if yep. not more, of the people yep. who were adopted and uh, all adopted at different parts of our lives. Some as infants, some as you know, children, some as teenagers. But there's so much there that is just not dealt with that you just kind of carried around. You carried around, you carried around, and you, then like you try drugs and alcohol, and you're like, oh, this fixes it. So yeah, I mean, my parents did the absolutely best they could. They didn't know they didn't know any different, but yeah, I definitely, there were, there were, there's definitely a piece of it there for sure.
0: Do you think there's like a, 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 whether cognitive, you know, truly cognitive or not a piece that never feels right as a result of the people who, you know, the, the, the the bio parents or the bio mom, probably like that separation, they call it the primal wound. Like, is there voice to that Absolutely. If, even if you don't remember.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there were, you know, I was never I was never truly whole. And then I become a part of this family, but now there's this huge secret that if they ever know, then I'm gonna lose this family too. So Whoa, it was like right. it was like a double whammy like coming at right, me, you know, Because,
0: like, right. the the right. I didn't even think of that. You're right. That that fear of abandonment.
1: Yeah. So my first drug was um uh like imagination. To just uh, escape in my brain that, um, like, there has to something has to be better than this, you know, living, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Do
0: you know? There's, there's. So I've. It's now called. Dissociative Identity Disorder (DID), but it used to be called multiple personalities. And there's, um, I've, I've interviewed a couple people and who have this tremendous trauma. And you talk about the religious trauma and, and all the, you know, the kind of the stacking of your traumas. And frankly, the trauma that you don't remember, which from one to two or zero to two, which to me, I'm sure is 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 alive and well in your neurons, if you even if you don't remember. And one of the things that can happen with that is that this creation of other personalities in order to deal with those things. Now in DID, right, they, the person, their brain like literally flips into that. But I wonder, and this is just like armchair you know, theory, like, I wonder if the, the, cause you don't remember when they came online. I wonder if the other, the, the personalities, like, you don't actually like turn into them, but I wonder if they came on as the ability to like, kind of couch each of those things in a way that was like, if you were, cause I'm imagining a young kid dealing with this, with adoption, dealing with, you know, gay Southern Baptist, uh, you know, all these things and fear of being like truly abandoned. Like you actually were afraid when your adopted parents left the room, all of those things to me, that's, that could be this like really Big coping skill, and something that you've actually learned to live with and work with in somewhat of a positive way.
1: Yeah, no, um, yeah. I mean, that all makes complete sense. I, I, I accept that armchair potential theory, and I mean, we we talked about some of that because because when I went to my second rehab, I was older and you know much more educated, and so I was able to have different conversations with the therapists and like what was going on and. Um, like we tried to do like regression therapy and I was like, this is enough for me. Yes. Um, I was like, we yes. need to stop this. Yeah. Need to stop this. Immediately. Um, let's, this is not government. Nah. So, I mean, yeah, I, that all makes complete sense. And, you know, they could have shown up to, um, very much like, I mean, watching a beautiful mind, I completely relate to that movie. They could have shown up to be friends and to be support. Um, you know, that's very possible, but I, I don't remember.
0: How do you, you know, you talk about, um, being the feelings guy. Mm-hmm. Tell me about how you, you know, your, your foundation and kind of what your life's work and your recovery looks like today as it relates to what is being the feelings guy look like?
1: Yep. So the feelings guy was an accident um, that is a, <laughs> like a lot of things in life, but a great accident. I had, I had begun this like journey of self-rediscovery. I went back to rehab again, late in life because um, the demon, you know, showed up again. And so that's when I really got honest about all the stuff. But then I was like, why am I waking up not happy? Like, what is going on here? Like, why can't I just get this together? And and then I guess about six months after that, the pandemic hit. And I realized that people were, people were saying, like, hey, how's it going? And I'm like, are you nuts right now? How's it going? Like my whole business I just started a business. I haven't worked in months. Like, what are you talking about? And so I created this campaign called five on the five, which happens on May fifth, And it was all about asking people, how are you feeling? And so it kind of blew up in a good way. And so somebody said, you should be the feelings guy. And I was like, okay. And so I was like, oh, wait, maybe I should. And so you know, I guess about, you know, six months before then, maybe six months, eight, six, eight, nine months, I really started like digging into what are these things called feelings and emotions? And like, what is this? Like what all these things that you do not learn in program, like this is not part of the, you know, the, the, the process, but they're there. And I discovered that like, or realized I had this huge personality. And even as I began, you know, grew into being totally comfortable in my skin, I was still pushing it down. Well, that Pushing it down was making me not happy. And so now I just like lean into feelings. And I know all about the feelings now. Um, before, I didn't know that there was no such thing as a good feeling or a bad feeling. just a feeling. I didn't know what feelings like actually were in your body. And like we assigned me. I mean, like all this stuff that is just not talked about. And I was like, we about to talk about this shit. So, I, um, so w- whatever audience it's for, whether it's high school or college or corporate America, you know, taking the concept of feelings... And I have this program called Feelings-Based Leadership that I do in corporate America, which is the antithesis of what they want you to do. Like they, I was in corporate America. They're like, we don't do feelings. So I'm like, okay, sure. So letting them know how how to lean into these things and learn from these things and love these things and also be a little bit of control of that. Like there, there are parts there are parts of that that we can control. It is a natural bodily reaction, but we can still like have some control of the way we react to it. So, so yeah, uh, you know, I... It's it's really it's really funny. When I launched Archie Cares, which is my business today, I assumed I was going to be the drug guy. I assumed I was going to be the guy that people call to talk about like the story and like like I and I do that a lot. But I would say ninety percent of my business now is mental health stuff. Um, I have found a way to have conversations about mental health with um, with all ages that is not boring. And that they lean in and they get stuff and we talk about suicide prevention and they don't freak out. And so that is that has become more of my lane these days.
0: What are you what trends are you seeing? What are you seeing out there in the world as you're having these 90 percent mental health conversations?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So. I, there was this article that recently came out in The Atlantic, which I totally disagree with. I'm just going to go on record. The title of the article is, So the Pandemic Didn't Affect Our Mental Health Like You Thought It Did. So the premise of the article is that what they equated was times of war mm-hmm. and the pandemic. Okay, but you have to read to figure that out. And so what they were saying is, just like in times of war, humans can overcome. They can rise to the occasion. Okay. Okay, I get that. But to say that based upon some research you did, that it did not affect our mental health the way that you thought it did, well, then you haven't talked to the hundreds of college students that I talked to who all said it did. That is the only place that I can find where the data isn't off the charts, that especially young people are experiencing anxiety and depression at higher levels than ever before. You know, allegedly- so
0: the Atlantic said that- the Atlantic said that it didn't think that this caused a major health, uh, mental health crisis?
1: Yeah, I mean, they did they did some research. You know, I'm not going to poo poo on these people. They did their research, and they said they were still looking for some things. I just think that the original premise is flawed. Got it. Okay. That's my opinion. It's
0: just a very bizarre thing to say, given all the research.
1: That, a very bizarre thing to say. That, yeah. I
0: mean, 50% w- women, the instances of um, of... Female cirrhosis in young women went up 50%. Well, there you go. 50%. I mean, just just that, right? Just that. Like Yeah, the, the
1: numbers are off the charts, especially with young people. And I've I've been equating it to a dragon that, mm. you know, in the heart of the pandemic, we were focused on the fire and the teeth. Of course we were. Yeah. But the tail's coming. Yeah, and if we're not paying agreed. attention, that tail's going and And so that's why I'm over here like screaming, can we please talk about feelings? Because here's the thing. If I was like, hey, Ashley, how are you doing today? I'd be like, I'm fine, which is a complete lie. But if I were to say, hey, Ashley, how are you feeling today? Like guaranteed, you're going to go, huh, well, because we're just not trained to talk about feelings. And so my one of my missions in life is to encourage people, beg people, implore people to stop saying, how are you today? Like Because what we really mean is hi. We really just mean hi. We don't really care. We just mean hi. So for those of us that do care, and I believe there's a lot of you listening that care, ask the question that shows that you care. Say, how are you feeling? And you're going to get some why. Why you want to know? What's going on? Like You're going to get some of those, but then people are going to start answering. And what I personally love doing is when someone says, hey, Archie, how are you doing today? Uh, A friend called me today and I said, I am hopeful, a little worried, and tired. And he went, okay, which in that okay was like, I didn't care. Like, I mean, that's what was saying there. But like, I am going to show up for myself. If someone else decides not to show up for me, I'm going to show up for myself. I'm talking about how I feel. And I'm going to normalize having these feelings because people are hurting. So give people a chance to actually share.
0: Should people do that like in line at Starbucks?
1: Girl, I was about to tell you, I do it at Starbucks. <laughs> now listen, but some people, I mean, that that may be a little far. You know, they're yeah, like, yeah, ah, exactly. can "I can to take your order? And I'm like, you can, but how are you feeling? And they're yeah, like, yeah. sir, can I take your order? Yeah, 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 <laughs> They're exactly. like, I'm done with you. Yeah. Um, and some of them know me now and they're like, I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, like, they're like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it, and it, I understand that like it's conversational, but what happens is that conversational, polite bullshit that we do bleeds over into our life. And we do it with our our spouses and our partners and our kids and like I love the fact that our child is like, are you happy? And I'm like, well, Kate, I'm actually sad. Oh, Papa sad? Like he he knows he knows feeling words because we were big on feelings in this house. Um, But that's not normal. It's not normal for a boy to be big on feelings, and we should be like we should be. So
0: I have a kid. We taught we taught we do these feelings in our house, and I have a kid who (laughs) he. Expresses a lot of anger, and
1: he's like,
0: I am so frustrated. I have feelings of frustration. Like, and it's just you're just like, we're <laughs> just trying, you're like, Oh, it's a really good feeling, we're buddy. Like, just okay, but the, the it feels rude in here, you know. <laughs> just,
1: I love it. I love it's it. It's great, but you're, I love you're, it.
0: you're like you, you when you watch it, you see how abnormal yeah. you, you know, you recognize how abnormal that is. I love it though. How are you reaching the people in, you know, these 90%? Are you mostly doing um going and doing talks with them? And do you do mentorship? What kind of stuff are you offering?
1: Yeah. So the former. So I I really don't want to be a coach. <laughs> I got enough problems I, of my own. Like I, you know, and I thought about that from people like you'd be a great coach. And I'm like, I just don't. That's not what I want to do. so I do a lot of um, right now a lot of my stuff is virtual uh, everything is you know changing to the fall but whether it's a keynote whether it's a workshop, whether it's a small group facilitation uh, where we can dig into you know different feelings different things but yeah so I mean you know there there for a couple of months I was talking to this green light every night I mean I was like booked um, which is great like it's great to be working again so yeah I don't I don't do one-on-one stuff. I don't want to be a therapist. <laughs> I don't want to be a coach. I am really good at coming in and laying a foundation and there's some companies where we have like a long-term thing and so I'll circle back around, I'll give them things to prompts and things like that. So I'll do that. Um, I'll give you a plan or I'll do a one and done. If people want a one and done, I'll do a one and done. But I'm so open and like everyone has all my information. And so I'm constantly putting up things on Instagram Yeah, that are encouraging people and helping people. So I I try to share the message even if they don't hire me.
0: Are you interested in doing any things are, that reach, you know, children who are growing up Baptist who might be gay and and trying to reach that particular population? I, I just... I just wonder if there's a, I'm sure there's lots of people doing it, but if there's a way to reach that group of people who's going through that trauma and let them know that there's some sort of, you know, lifeline there.
1: That's awesome. Um. So I get <laughs> I get people referred to me a lot. Yeah, people yeah. are like, can you talk to this guy? Can you talk to this girl? Can you talk to this? And I'm like, sure. Um, and so I'm not a therapist and I tell them that upfront and I'll just say, this is my experience. Very yeah. much like what we do in program. Here's my experience. This what work for me. But I think for a lot, you know, I, I have found, especially when I speak to high school students, I'll get messages afterwards. I had no idea that you could be gay and be like you, you know, that I have a husband and I have a child, but I'm also still fun. And I'm, you know, like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm gay, but I'm, I'm living this life that they only see with their parents, who's a man and a woman. So I think that even just showing up and being myself is, is helping people. And that took a while for my head to wrap around that, that like, just being, being this person that I was meant to be. Feelings and all is what people needed.
0: I love that. Last question for you. what is What are some things that you do? So I'll just give you an example. When I, it, for me, it can show up as wanting to drink, but it's I, ultimately all of the things that often comes down to anxiety, right? And the physical, like... Anxiety, not you know, I can't breathe, not knowing what to do. And there are a couple. I have like a short list of things that I do. One is push-ups. One is sit-ups. Like I'll literally drop down and do push-ups, get the endorphins going. One is I was taught to make and unmake my bed until I don't want to drink anymore. This is what I was taught in the beginning, and let me tell you by the second time you make your bed you're like fuck it i won't drink like i can't make this i don't want to do this bed anymore do you have a short list of things that you like a like a practical like i love practical things that you do when you are like i can't breathe like the anxiety is too big
1: yeah so i've never said this on a podcast so here you go um when i was First trying to get sober again because um because crystal meth and sex are so tied together. My sponsor I'm saying this. My sponsor and I had this rule that if I felt like I wanted to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I <laughs> we call it the three fist rule. If you can jack off three times and you still want to use, then go get high. And I'm sure you edit this am- out. So.
0: no, it's <laughs> okay. amazing. Fuck it. Whatever keeps you sober, just and don't it wasn't
1: possible by the third time. Let, number one, you're exhausted. I mean, you're <laughs> exhausted. It takes so long. And then like all the allure is gone away. And so then you're just asleep. So it never I never actually got past the third time and went to use. So I don't there you have it. Now listen, that is not endorsed by the <laughs> This is nowhere the, the, the big book, but um, but we had to get creative with Archie, and uh, it, it worked. I don't necessarily do that anymore, but that was one of the first things that yeah. I tried, and I, I think for me now again because my head starts spinning, you know, like I'm going to be traveling and blah blah blah. I just have to talk about it. Like I just like I'm going to talk about it right then. We're going to talk about it. I also do take walks because I'm like I can, no stop people, um, and so I'll you know take a walk. I really haven't tried the sit-ups and the push-ups. That may be why I'm 20 pounds heavier than when the pandemic starter, like COVID-20, like came right over here. Uh, not the COVID-19, the COVID-20 <laughs> came right here. Um, uh, that
0: bonus episode coming in hot. I reels. <laughs> for
1: reals. Um, yeah, I guess those are... No,
0: those are good. I love it. No, I think the... the look, we have to figure out, you know, people are like, oh, you know, you pray, you meditate. It's like, look, I'm about to fucking walk out the door and you like ruin my life. What do I do? What do I do? What are the things like? And if that means you have to jack off three times in the corner, then that's what you got to do. I mean,
1: listen, friends. If there's a crystal methodic, listen. You trying to you trying to get it? Try the three hand method. Try the three. I'm just saying. I, I never could make it work. By the third time, I was all like splotchy and like Ugh. yeah. So yeah. There was there, there you was go. No, there's no going to get a high after that.
0: That's what I mean. I mean, it's like it's not it's not sexy, but you know it. it, it is these not. are These are. <laughs> These are the things we have to do to stay sober, whatever it is. So I love it. Well, thank you so much, Archie. Where can people find you and reach out to you?
1: So you can find everything on the website, which is archiecares.com. The place that I'm most active in is Instagram, which is archie underscore cares.
0: Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. It's been great.
0: This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings, schedule, and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.